0: Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary c-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we're chatting with Lily, and Lily has three birth stories to share with us. So Lily, do you want to just start us off with an introduction?
1: Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Lily Delgado. Um, I'm currently 31. I live in Acworth, Georgia. I have three children. My first birth was my cesarean. My second was my first VBAC at the hospital, and my third was my home birth baby during the pandemic.
0: Well, why don't you just take us to wherever you want to start?
1: Um, I guess I'll start off with uh, my cesarean. I was uh, 19 years old when I found out that I was pregnant and also 19 when I gave birth. The pregnancy was fairly easy. I didn't, you know, had not have any complications, but uh, he was uh, born maybe two weeks earlier than expected. Uh, His water broke when I was at a birthday party, my niece's uh, birthday party. I think she was turning six and we were about to start hitting the piñata. And when I got up to get the stick, um, I had literally thought that I maybe maybe had peed myself. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just peed myself. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. So I went running to the bathroom and then I noticed that it wouldn't stop. I'm like, okay, this isn't, you know. P is something else so I had told my mom since she was there with me and she was the one that told me hey you know that that is definitely your water breaking I'm like what so then after that well we just let um I just let it you know take its course I wasn't really well obviously you know being my first pregnancy labor um how do I say like your first experience going through all of that there we go. My first experience, I was kind of anxious and like, you know, hey, okay, let's go to the hospital. But my mom had told me to, you know, just wait it out and see what happened because I wasn't starting any. I like my water broke and no contractions were starting shortly after. I just put on like a, a sanitary pad and then just went on through that evening. Um, I started feeling uh, contractions around. Oh, the, the water broke around eight o'clock at night. So then I started feeling contractions around four o'clock in the morning, but they weren't, you know, like too painful or anything. So, but since, you know, being so young and so excited, I'm like, okay, okay, I think this is it. I think this is ready. We're ready. My mom was trying to tell me, no, they're, you know, when you're having real like hard contractions, you're going to be in pain. Like right now you're not in pain yet. I'm just like, oh, but I want to go in and check if I'm, you know, see how, how I'm progressing and whatnot. So we went in and I was, I want to say I was like a three centimeters uh, dilated. And then they just told me to, you know, uh, take my time and walk around. And that's what I was doing. But then again, like um, two hours later, they checked me again. And I was still at a, I don't know, barely at a four. And uh, the the nurse staff started to seem you know a little anxious or they wanted like they they were hoping that it would be speeding up more than than what it was already since my water had already broken at a uh, eight eight o'clock at night around six o'clock in the morning or something they had wanted to uh, use the i think it's called the foley bulb in me to help me to help me to try to open up a little bit more by then i was already like at four almost five centimeters but they wanted to speed up the process they they did that and they did the pitocin and with the pitocin um i don't think that my body reacted too well with that i think um my body literally just shuts down and i started to stall more and because i was stalling and i was already in a lot of pain they uh Told me to go ahead and get the epidural so that my body could relax and maybe, you know, let my contractions help me open up a little bit more. And the epidural literally, uh, I feel like it just stopped everything. I stayed at a six for I don't know how long. And then once it turned um, 10 in the morning, they were like, that's it. uh, Let's just go ahead and um, do your C section. It looks like your baby is in distress and you are in distress. So, I just go ahead and do a C-section. And at the time, I, I, I don't know, I just, you know, I trusted my doctors and I felt like maybe I wasn't, you know, ready. My body wasn't ready to do what it
0: was supposed to do. And I just went ahead and agreed. And that's how that one went. How was that postpartum time for you, both immediately after the C-section while you were still in the hospital and then after going home with your baby?
1: Um, I remember um, when we got out of the uh, OR and just looking down at my legs, I, I felt really foreign. I was like, these legs don't belong to me because they were completely numb. They were just like moving my body everywhere as they, as, they, as they pleased, I guess. And at the time since you know I was still in under you know sedation, the recovery was fairly easy at the hospital but once I got home that's when it like it hit everything I was in a lot of pain my bedroom at the time I was um living with my mom since I wanted to do the uh, the postpartum period with my mom so that she could help me out my bedroom was upstairs so going up the stairs was really crazy I remember that It, it hurt so bad I felt like um I was hunching over a lot and my mom would be like, no, you know, try to stand up straight. I'm like, but I can't, it hurts." For the first night or two, I was still using the, um, the painkillers that they had given me. It was, I think oxycodone, or I'm not 100% sure, but, um, I remember the second night, I guess, you know, since the painkillers really, um, really are like heavy on your body. I had fallen, I had dozed off and fallen asleep while breastfeeding my baby and I don't even know how I woke up but he was like literally under me and after that I got so scared I I, I never took the the painkillers again I'm like oh my goodness I fell asleep on top of my baby and luckily he was
0: okay I'm sure that was a really scary realization I mean I I've, I've I've heard that from multiple moms uh even even without having to take something like that after a C-section, but just from the sleep deprivation and no one really talks about that. So I'm glad that you brought that up.
1: Yes. Um, I don't know that when you're like so deep into the uh, deep asleep with the medication, you don't really feel anything, but I, I don't, I don't know. I guess, you know, just God like help me woke up, like wake up. Hey, Hey, you're like on top of your baby. I woke up and he was luckily he was, you know, alive and breathing. But um talking about, you know, sleep deprivation, I feel like from being scared from that moment, I feel like after that I any little pushes or grunts that the that the my babies have done, like I wake up right away.
0: Yeah, that's like your motherly instincts in overdrive, like any little noise. I remember that with my son too. And it's actually one of the reasons why I started researching Like safe co-sleeping and Mm -hmm. how to have him next to me without having to worry about like rolling on top of him or suffocating him because I I remember I fell asleep sitting in our our glider chair in his nursery nursing him and Mm -hmm. after that moment I was so scared to get up in the middle of the night and like hold him and nurse him so I looked into like sideline nursing and different things like that so that I knew I wasn't going to fall asleep sitting up, holding him in that chair. That's a really, it's a, just a really scary thing to go through.
1: Yes, it really is. And actually talking about, you know, um, falling asleep while nursing your baby, sitting down after being so scared of, you know, falling asleep on top of my baby. I was like, oh, well, since laying like side laying didn't, well, was it like it scared me. I was, I thought that maybe trying the, um, sitting up and feeding him and breastfeeding him on the glider would help. But actually, actually that night, well, that was maybe, he was probably like two weeks old, you know, the sleep deprivation. I I guess I fell asleep and I I dropped him. I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a bad mom. And I just took the baby to my mom. I was like, here, take the baby. I'm a horrible mother. I already fallen asleep on him once. And now I dropped him while I fell asleep. She's like, no, it's okay. He's fine.
0: And nobody talks about that either. Like, I feel like we're so afraid to say that because we don't want other people to perceive us as a bad mom. But it is a really real thing that I think a lot of women go through. And Mm -hmm. it's why it's so important if you're able to have that extra support during those first couple days, weeks, months, whatever it is, after having a baby, because it's really hard to do on your own if there's not somebody else there that can help you when you're You're barely sleeping your hormones are running at a whole new level you have to learn how to take care of this brand new little baby and it's a brand new world the first time you step into motherhood i mean each time you become a mother again it's new but that first time especially there's just so many learning curves
1: exactly like there's a lot of things that you don't really know like especially when you're a mother and having your first little boy That's another thing. Also, during my postpartum time, I didn't know that um, little boys, when they would pee, they would, you know, they have little mini erections, and they'd pee straight up. Mm -hmm. His little pee, like, literally landed on his mouth, and I freaked out. I'm like, Dad, the baby drank his pee. And my dad was like, no, he'll be fine. It's good for his liver. I'm like, what? It's good for his liver.
0: So after that experience, how did that leave you feeling about having a C-section and what you wanted to do for future pregnancies?
1: Um, From that, um, since uh, when I found out with my second baby that I was pregnant, uh, my first baby, he was three going on to four. And I knew that there was no way that I could be in damaged pain and care for my you know, my first baby who obviously needs me. I'm like, there's no way that I can do that and, you know, care for my, my both babies. So um, I went ahead and like started uh, reading about stories, being able to do a vaginal birth after cesarean. And uh, my first doctor who I visited was completely against it. He was like, no, you already had a cesarean. This birth is going to also be a cesarean. I'm like, but I read that, you know, after a year, it'd be okay to go ahead and try for a VBAC, and he said that he wasn't taking the risk. So I started looking for another doctor, and by the time uh, my husband was in the military, so we ended up moving to North Carolina, and uh, I met the doctors in the, uh, the Naval Hospital on the base there. And they were fully on board with me
0: um, trying to VBAC with my second birth. Was there anything specific that you did during your pregnancy to help prepare for a VBAC once that's what you decided you were going to do?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, First of all, I I definitely, definitely recommend eating healthy. Because my first baby, I was definitely a little bit, I was definitely overweight. I think I gained like 60 pounds with that first pregnancy. And with my second one, I literally gained nothing. Um, Just the baby, um, what, you know, the placenta, the amniotic, both like 50 pounds, 15 pounds. And that's all I gained. I ate healthy. I walked regularly every single day. I uh, made sure to like, you know, take the steps, the stairs instead of the elevator a lot because I read that um, it was good also for your hips and for delivery. So that's what I did. And close to the end of my um, pregnancy from my second birth from my second pregnancy. um, I was getting a little scared because the doctor had told me that he would only allow me to go to uh, 40 weeks. And I was already like, hitting the 40 week mark. No. Yeah. I already hit the 40 week mark and I was already going to 41 and my, luckily my doctor, I like me and him, like talked and I had, you know, begged him to let me go for an, at least just one more week just so that, you know, my body could like kick in and do what it's supposed to do. And he let me, but he, um, told me that he wanted to do a membrane sweep. So so that's what we did. We did that twice during that week leading up to the, um, to my labor. And the second time that we did the membrane sweep after leaving the hospital, well, yeah, because the clinic was in the hospital itself. After leaving there, I was already starting to get contractions. And from what I've learned about myself and You know, my first pregnancy and my second pregnancy, my body loves to take its time. I was in labor this time
0: around for two days straight, like 24 hours and 24 plus, I think it was. Was that from the time that you got that membrane sweep up until baby was born then? Okay. Yeah. So I got the membrane sweep
1: around three in the afternoon. And then I started feeling contractions around five that day but then the contractions didn't start like actually feeling like contractions till um five in the morning then the in the morning and then I went to the hospital at 5 p.m that same day but I didn't get I didn't end up giving birth till 11 a.m the following day Um, so take us
0: through that labor a little bit then
1: yes with that labor um it was a very long labor, and I was trying my best to stay off of the epidural because I had remembered with my previous birth that once I took the epidural, it like stopped everything. I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't having any more contractions, according to the little machine that they had hooked up on you, and I wasn't opening up anymore. So uh, the doctor did did say that he wanted me to go ahead and have the uh, epidural for just in case that we needed to do an emergency section but uh, I got I got to seven centimeters dilated before they went ahead and did the epidural and I stalled for like five five hours before I opened up to an eight from a seven to an eight then that's when one of the nurses had talked about maybe Pitocin and I had told her no I was like I don't I don't want to I don't want to do Pitocin just let leave me alone and let me let my body work and it was around 10 or 9.30 when they were telling me to go ahead and start pushing. I was already at a 10. So they started to coach push me, but I wasn't feeling any urges to, you know, to push or anything. So I stayed there pushing for like an hour and 30 minutes, almost two hours. And nothing was happening at all until I threw up. They were like, oh, we see the head. I'm like, no, but I, I don't feel like doing anything. And then they let me rest for a little bit. And then my husband was like, okay, well, let me just go use the restroom really quickly. And then once he left, I felt the urge to push. I'm like, oh, my God, tell him to come back because I I feel like I need to go to the restroom or something. And then they went looking for him. And I was like, I was about to just go ahead and start pushing without him there. But luckily, he he came to the door once I started to push because I couldn't hold
0: the urge any, any longer. And then, how long was it from when you actually started feeling that urge to push until baby was born?
1: He was uh born in one place. Yeah.
0: I think that's so important to note because there are so many times where it's like, oh, okay, you're at ten centimeters, it's time to push, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your body is ready to push. It's actually really common to have a little bit of a break from when you're fully dilated until your body starts feeling, that urge to bear down or the fetal ejection reflex.
1: Yes. And that's exactly what it was, a fetal ejection reflex, because it told me not to push. Like, don't push, don't push. Wait for your husband to get here. I'm like, but I can't. Oh, my God. Hurry up.
0: Right. There's like no controlling it. I've I've heard a lot of women describe it as it's like that feeling when you're going to throw up, it's just Mm -hmm. out of your bottom instead of coming up your throat and out of your mouth.
1: Yes, exactly. Or like when you feel like you have to do like the number two, but like. You really got to go. <laughs> really, really got to go. And you can't find the bathroom until you finally find the bathroom and then you pull down your pants and it's all out. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Just like that. And that's how that one went. And he was uh, he was out in the world and everything was everything was great. And I, I didn't tear. I think they just did a, a little stitch on um my lit my Libya area. Because when the doctor, or I don't know, somebody touched me. I can't remember what what happened there. But um, my my Libya area kind of had a little tear. So they put one stitch there, and that was that.
0: How was that postpartum time then, especially compared to how things had been with your first kiddo?
1: It was completely different. I wasn't in pain the way that I was after my cesarean. I could easily move around, pick up my baby, you know, go up, go up and down the stairs as I pleased. The recovery wasn't nearly as bad as it was with my cesarean. And I feel like I was normal in the, you know, regular, I don't know, in the range of that, I guess you could say is normal. Feeling like my, like myself in in like a
0: week or two, it was not difficult at all. So then... After having a VBAC in the hospital, what was it that made you decide to have your next baby at home? Was there like a moment that you realized you wanted to do that or was there something that influenced you? I've always, uh, even with my first baby, I've always like um, was
1: attracted to having a home birth, but I didn't know exactly how to do that. Where would I start? where would I find a midwife who who does home births? I didn't know exactly how to, like, go with that. So I just went on, you know, with uh, going to a regular OBGYN. So when I realized that I was pregnant with my third, I wait, with my third, I still went to the regular OBGYN. Because like I, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't know any home birth uh, midwives in the area at the time I started going with this different doctor here in Georgia and um, once I hit like 20 or 18 weeks 18 odd weeks my uh, doctor had told me that I would need to go ahead and um, schedule for a cesarean by uh, 39 weeks and I said wait why why I don't need a cesarean since I already had my second baby uh, vaginally. And I know that I I could either, you know, give birth early since like that's how I went with my first one or past the 40 weeks since that's what I did with my second baby. So um, once he had mentioned that and um, he had told me that I would have to sign something, it really scared me. To the point where I just got onto the, to the internet, to Facebook, and went ahead and, like, started researching, hey, like, um, where, does anybody know of any home birth midwives? And a friend of mine who, she does photography, she has sent me this Facebook uh, page group where um, a lot of midwives uh, have their contact information there and um, the areas that they serve. You know, me being already close to 20 weeks, I was so scared and nervous, like, were they even upset me? Will I even have time? But I had called every, every single one of them. I called them all until I found uh, one midwife. Her name is uh, Charlotte Sanchez. She covered my area and she was so wonderful. And she told me, yes, I will, I will take you in. And she took me in at like 22 weeks, 23. And I
0: was so relieved. How did that care with your midwife compare to the care that you had been receiving with the OB?
1: It was very different, since uh, her care was um, at home in her office. She didn't really do vaginal exams like they did, uh, you know, like they would do at the um, at the clinic. They'd uh, always check you to see if you're if you're going if you're dilating or anything. She never did that. She gave me a lot of. Um, Advice on taking my vitamins, all different types of vitamins in order to keep my, um, my iron up, to make sure that I was, uh, you know, good and healthy for, for labor so that I wouldn't
0: uh, hemorrhage or um, have high blood pressure at birth. How did your husband feel about switching to home birth? Would you say he was on board or did he have some hesitations? Oh, he was very hesitant
1: extremely hesitant he was like what if something goes wrong what if um you know he had all these what ifs and i don't know i guess i just literally just went ahead and did what i did and just dragged him along until he was you know comfortable i guess he was never really comfortable not even at the at the the whole labor thing he was like wait like what if something happens what if everything goes wrong And then I just told him, hey, look at me, like, everything's going to be okay. And then, I don't know, I guess his fatherly fatherly and uh, husband instincts kicked in. And he was just there focusing on me and helping me, you know, cope with pain. And um, I guess after the whole labor and whole birth, after the baby was born, I asked him, so what did you think about, you know, this experience giving the, the, having a home birth at home? And he was like, you know what? I, I liked it a lot more than being at the hospital because I am, I was more involved with you here at home than being at the hospital. Because at the hospital, you have all the nurses and all the staff. And then at home is just, you know, me and you, your mom and the midwife.
0: Yeah. They take on so much more of a central role, I feel yeah. like, and it's so much more family centered. I mean, even when women, they'll have their husbands or partners and their kids there too. And yeah. it's just more of a family experience rather than like going through all of that and then enjoying your baby afterwards. It's it's like all encompassing through pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum.
1: Yes, the whole experience was completely different um, and beautiful, because like, like you said, you're, the children, you can actually have them there. Well, they weren't there. Well, my kids were not there during you know the whole pushing and all that. But they did come into the room after the baby was born. And uh, the midwife. Oh, by the way, I had a different midwife at the at the birth. My, my original midwife was at a different birth, which worked out perfectly as well. The midwife who delivered my baby was with um, Gifted Hands Midwifery, and she was amazing as well. And she showed the kids the placenta, she explained to them like, you know, the, where the baby lived, how the baby ate, and once um, the cord became white, um, they were able to cut the baby's umbilical cord, and they loved that.
0: That's so awesome. And what a great learning experience for them and to have that perception of what birth can look like.
1: Yeah, they were there. They I don't know, they were in awe with everything. They really enjoyed it. And they were there, you know, to see to see me, you know, in recovery and to like help support me as well. You know, they were telling mommy, I love you. You did so good. Look at the baby. He is beautiful. I guess they, they did get a little bit of worried with, the, you know, with my with my bleeding. Oh, cause I had given birth in the, in the tub. And once I got out of the tub, I started to hemorrhage just a little bit. Uh, my, the midwife, she had injected me with uh, pitocin just to, you
0: know, stop the, uh, the bleeding. But other than that, everything went great. Well, let's back up a little bit and start kind of where labor began for you with that pregnancy. Again, with this pregnancy, uh, my
1: labor I think this one was a lot, a little bit longer than my previous one. I was in labor for, well, how do you call it? What, it, what would it be? Um, prodromal, prodromal labor. Prodromal labor for um, about a week. It just kept coming and I'm like, okay, this is it. And then it would just go away. And then it'll come back and I'm like, okay, this is it. And then it'll go away. But then um, once it got towards the end, the last three days, the pain was constant until the nighttime came. That's when everything would just uh, subside and I'd be able to go to sleep until the last day. That morning, I had woken up and I was still having a lot of contractions. I had lost my mucus plug, but um, I was losing the plug um, in episodes. I I would uh, go to the bathroom and have a little bit, go to the bathroom again and have a little bit more until um, I, I guess I completely lost it all because the last time, um, like a big chunk came out, okay, I think this is it. And that was in the morning. The rest of the day, my contractions were good. They were constant, but they weren't um, that close together yet. They were probably about 10 minutes apart in the morning or throughout the day. And I, you know, did my daily routine. I did everything that that I normally do, clean the house, Uh, feed my chickens go for walks made dinner and then we went to bed and then around uh 2 a.m is when I woke up with uh really really strong contractions and I started timing them again and at first they were five minutes apart and then they went up to three minutes apart and then two minutes apart and then that's when I called my midwife I'm like okay I think this is really it she's like oh my goodness this is it But we have an issue. I'm at a different, I'm in another birth right now on the other side of town. What what are we going to do? She's like, Are you sure this is it? Like, this is it. This is it. I'm like, Yes, uh, this is it. So she had called, you know, made calls and sent out Midwife K. My sister, she had arrived to my house, and so did my mom. I gave uh, my sister Midwife K's number so she could see if um, an ETA of a timeline she would be able to come. And she had told her that she would be arriving in the house about 40 minutes. And then at that time, I, started, I just started crying. I'm like, oh my goodness, what if um, she doesn't get here on time? And I just give birth by myself. And my mom and my husband were just there, you know, consoling me. And they told me it was going to be okay. And I remember I just looked up. I have this rosary in my bedroom hanging by uh, my bed. And I had told my mom to give me the rosary. And once I had the rosary in my hands, I felt instantly just calmer. And midwife Kay literally just walked through the door. I'm like, Oh my God, thank God. I just felt like instant relief. I'm like, thank you for coming. And so she checks me. I'm already like at a six and a half centimeters. the contraction started getting, you know, really like started ramping up and picking up really fast. This was probably she arrived at my house. I want to say she got there at three. Actually, I have a message here. To give you exact the exact time. Yeah, she arrived at my house at 3.26 in the morning. Uh, she had told me that I was, you know, that I was doing well and everything was looking great. She told me to go ahead and get up and walk around and move around a little bit. So that um the baby could drop a little bit more, and as soon as I did that, like um me and my sister and my husband, we were they were my support, and I was you know walking around in my uh in my bedroom, and then I just couldn't walk anymore. I'm like I can't walk anymore. Like I just need to get inside the tub, and that's what I did. I as soon as I got inside the tub, I was able to relax a little bit more. Um the the warm water that touched my my legs and my hips, like it helped ease the pain so, so much. I just felt like an instant, like, oh, this feels so good. As soon as I got in the tub and relaxing maybe for like 10 minutes, I felt the urge to push. And my midwife just told me, yeah, you're go ahead and push. Do what you got to do. And um, it says right here that I got I got in the tub at 503 and I started pushing at 505.
0: And um, he was born at 5.13. And again, you felt that urge to push and you listened to your body. So that's probably why you didn't end up pushing for two hours again like you had with your last birth. Yes.
1: Or having, the, you know, the, um, what is it called, the fetal injection? Mm-hmm. Having that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he was born fairly quickly. From the moment she got there, she got there at three. And then he was born at 5.13.
0: What was that immediate postpartum time like right after he was born and you're at your own house? It was, you know,
1: very peaceful. I don't even know how to describe it. I just remember feeling peace, feeling at peace, since I didn't have to, you know, worry about, you know, transportation, like, you know, being having the baby in the car, because I I don't know, for me, that always kind of scared me a little bit, putting my little bit newborn in the car and then having to drive an hour away from the hospital to home but being at home I don't know like as soon as he was born he was on me like he didn't the baby didn't leave my sight at all to do any kind of testing or nothing it was just literally there with me the whole time until you know after I fed him and after I was ready to
0: get some rest it was very peaceful do you remember anything about the birth of the placenta actually I do not Okay. I don't remember.
1: Um, I just remember getting out of the tub and uh, they had told me that there was a lot of bleeding. And I, honestly, I don't even remember that other than the notes that my the midwife, she has sent me. She did say that the placenta was born at 530 in the morning. And when they said that, when I got out of the tub, like it, everything just came out. I just remember looking to my, I think my left and the
0: placenta was there on the bowl. <laughs> when did that come out? <laughs> you were probably just in your own little oxytocin bubble with your baby after yeah. everything. I mean your hormones had free range to experience everything that they're supposed to in that moment.
1: Right, exactly. Like I was just, I don't know, I guess I was just so in awe with the baby that I just I don't know. I
0: don't remember none of that at all. And you said that that baby is now five months old. Is that right? No, he's 15 months. 15 months. That's what it was. Okay. Okay. So how, how did that experience, or I guess the better question is, do you feel like that experience changed you as a mother or gave you a new perspective on things? It didn't really change me much as a mother.
1: But I would say that um after having the baby at home, all my babies were breastfed, but till a certain, like my first one, he was breastfed only for up to two months, like exclusively breastfed up to two months. And then, you know, being combo fed after that. And then with my second baby, he was only breastfed one month and then formula fed after that. And then with this little one, I committed... I don't know if it was because, you know, being at home or, you know, having the time with your baby, but I fully committed on you know, breastfeeding my, my little baby because with the other, um, my last baby, um, I feel like I dried up really, really fast. I just, um, I wasn't producing anything or I don't, I don't know if it was because he was away from me for a certain amount of time, or I don't know what, what could have, um, you know, caused that for me to dry up after the month, after a month. But with this baby, he was, he's been exclusively breastfed till he was a year when I was already like, okay, I'm um, done.
0: I'm tired. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure just a culmination of having that past experience too, you know, like it, I feel like a lot of times your first time breastfeeding, kind of like we talked about earlier like your first time becoming a mother and going through all these things there's so many learning curves and just Mm -hmm. things that you don't know and once you go through it and have that little bit of experience to stand on I feel like that can be really helpful for future breastfeeding experiences too right well for any women who either maybe just had a c-section and are wanting to have a home birth or they're currently planning their home birth is there anything that you would want them to know or any advice that you would give them?
1: My main advice would be be educated on what, um, what labor really is and what uh, your body really can do. Because if we're not educated, I feel like we can get easily sidetracked or manipulated into, um, into all the fear tactics that sometimes these doctors tend to do.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel like that's one of those situations where if you – I mean, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. If you haven't been able to research or explore different things within pregnancy, labor, postpartum, it can be really easy to just take your doctor at their word when really there might be another way of doing things or Mm – maybe that's just your doctor's personal opinion and there are a lot of other opinions out there different ways of doing things so I would definitely agree that that education and advocating for yourself and what you want really figuring out like what it is that you want in pregnancy or what kind of birth you want to have and then exploring all of those options is one of the best things that you could do
1: exactly because I'm if I wasn't if I hadn't you know done my research or. Stayed educated with pregnancy and birth and all that. I feel like this time around with my third baby, maybe I would have ended up with a C section just because my doctor wanted to go ahead and schedule something for 39 weeks. Right. I would have been devastated.
0: And those deadlines, too.
1: I feel like
0: so many women are told, well, if you don't go into labor naturally by 39 weeks, or sometimes it's 40 weeks, so by your due date, then we just have to schedule a C-section because I know a lot of doctors won't do inductions. There are definitely some that will for a VBAC, but a lot of times it's either your body goes into labor naturally by this point, or we're scheduling a C-section. And it's just so unrealistic because like you said, you went early with your first and you went late with your second. There's no controlling when your body is going to go into labor. And so all all those extra deadlines do is just add more stress and actually inhibit your body from feeling safe and secure enough to go into labor.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. And
1: an estimated due date is just that. It's estimated. It's not, oh, the baby's going to be born on this day.
0: Yeah. No. I like to use the term due month. because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, really, it could be anywhere from two weeks before your due date to two weeks after is considered like a... Mm-hmm an average gestation. And that's why they do 40 weeks because that's right in the middle. It's average. It's not a hard and fast deadline that so many providers treat it as. Exactly. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you can think of that you want to share?
1: Just, you know, the the fact that, you know, experiencing the home birth uh, experience, I would never go back to hospital birth ever again, actually.
0: Yeah, I hear that a lot. Like once you have That home birth experience and you see how birth can look in that setting, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to go back into the hospital setting where there are a lot more restrictions and policies and rules most of the time. Exactly. I will not go back to that. Well, thank you so much just for taking the time to share your stories and experiences with us. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.